0: So your Bibles tonight, please turn to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. Now if you have your handout from a couple weeks ago, or if you need one I should say, uh, would you just raise your hand if you would like to have the handout for tonight's lesson, uh, we're doing the four-part soul winning uh, lectures, and if you'd like a handout, raise your hand, the ushers have those, all right? So go ahead and raise them up high right here. There's about one in each section, or a couple of, some have them. We handed these out a few weeks ago, and then I preached something different, so we'll have to, if you can't find it, just raise your hand and we'll get you one right now, all right? And while they're handing those out, what we're going to do tonight is, after the service, I'm going to get Bill and Joanne and their family, if they'll go out and shake hands, would you go by and greet them? And also, the brown box is going to be out there on the Welcome Center. If you'd like to give them a gift, just stuff it in there, all right? And uh, we don't know what goes in there. We don't even look at it or count it. We just hand them the box and say you give it back to us empty. So if you'd like to be a blessing tonight to them in some way, please fill up that box, all right? And uh, give from your heart. And uh, we appreciate so much. Uh, Often we say missionaries go where we cannot go. And um, it's in the true sense of the word with the Dobbs, because very few can go to these places that they're going. And so we thank the Lord for that. Matthew chapter 28, of course, is the Great Commission, and we're just going to look at a verse here and launch out, and we're going to look at the third part of the Great Commission tonight. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to talk about establishing new Christians. What have you done when you, what do you do when you lead somebody to the Lord? And so we're going to talk about that tonight and how important it is to get them grounded in the truth, and there's a couple things that you want to do immediately, right away. You want to talk to them about these things, and then later on, you want to strengthen them in a more of a long-term way so that they have a foundation that gets built in their life Matthew chapter 28 Now, has everybody got the handle that would like one not everybody has to have one but would you like one all right everybody's got one Matthew chapter 28 look at verse 18 with me and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us tonight. Lord, gather our thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of material to cover. And so may the Holy Spirit of God teach us. But, Lord, as we take these Bible truths, we pray that we'd also apply them. And we'd use them to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ. Help us now, we pray. I surrender to you and I ask for your filling. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at verse 19 with me. The Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. There's two different words for teach here. This first one is talking about proclaiming. It's talking about preaching the gospel. So we are to teach all nations, give them the gospel. We've looked at that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. That's what we're going to focus on tonight taking a new believer and grounding them in the truth and teaching them to observe all things. Now, the Great Commission is more than just winning people to Christ. I think that was a philosophy of a lot of churches for a lot of years. All right, we'll just we'll just say, say this prayer, you're saved. We had 10,000 saved this year and never ever see anybody come to church, ever baptized, ever growing, ever discipled. And, and honestly speaking, I think sometimes because of maybe just we're busy and our schedules are are such as they are that we often can bring somebody to the Lord invite them to church they might even get saved but we see them fall away very quickly they need to be grounded in the truth they need to understand and have that foundation that comes through the word of God so like a newborn baby needs care so does the new Christian needs nurture and the nourishment of God's word the scripture says teaching them to observe all things brother Dobb was just saying that he gets these question times, and he said, I wasn't prepared to give the whole Bible. Well, you, you understand that teaching all things is going to take some time. It's not something they're going to learn all night. As a matter of fact, if I take a survey tonight, how many of you know all things? We're a little bit deficient, aren't we? We don't, we don't know the Bible from cover to cover. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, every time I read the Bible, I see something I didn't see before. And man, it bothers me. I, I, I got to admit that. I hear somebody preach. And, and one time, Barry Rutherford preached, and he had, I had the three points he was preaching underlined in my Bible, and I still didn't see it until he preached it. You see, God gives us things as we need them, and, we, and that's part of our growth. And so it's going to take a long-term process to teach them all things. And so tonight, there are some things that we want to get them right away, and then there's some things we want to help them grow as we go. Now, the Apostle Paul was passionate about preaching the gospel. And he liked preaching it in new places. He said this, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But he also returned to those places and taught them. We see the epistles were written to strengthen and grow new believers. So Roman number one tonight in your notes, early instruction. Early instruction. What do they need to learn right off? First of all, they need to learn about the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation. That that may be what sets a lot of Bible-preaching churches apart from charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches and churches that believe they can lose their salvation. We believe in the assurance of salvation. And it's important that we give that uh, to these. As a matter of fact, we had this morning, uh, we've told you about Ricky who accepted Christ as Savior. Well, during the lesson this morning, Ricky and both Ricky and his little brother Rocky uh, raised their hands, and they wanted to talk to somebody again, and so we went out in the hallway. And, I, and Brother Judge, I think he had Ricky and I had Rocky, and both of them just needed the assurance of salvation. As a matter of fact, we learned after that Ricky was bothered because he says, I haven't prayed in a few days. Does that mean I'm still saved? And it was actually convicting his heart that he hadn't talked to God in a few days. He'd been, you know, kids, it's summertime, he's 10 years old, he's out playing with his buddies, and he hadn't prayed, he hadn't talked to God. And it was bothering him, and it was convicting him. He needed the assurance of salvation. And so we talked about the moment he got saved, was he truly saved, first of all, and from there we go on to give them assurance. I always like to use the illustration, John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. You know, If I did some terrible thing as a young person and my dad said, get out of my house, you're no longer my son, that still doesn't change the relationship. You can't sever it. He's still my father, I'm still his son, whether he disowns me or not. And so we have that assurance that we are the children of God and we need to pass that on to somebody else. We need to understand this. The moment somebody is saved, they enter into a spiritual battle. Right away. As a matter of fact, Satan will try to pluck that seed as soon as he possibly can and discourage that person from living God. Listen, he's already lost them to salvation, but if he can keep them from winning somebody else to the Lord or being a productive Christian, then he benefits in the long run or at least fulfills his agenda in some way. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual battle. And by the way, the devil doesn't spare women and children. Every child of God needs to know about assurance of salvation. And so, first of all, the assurance of salvation is based on number one, in your notes, God's promises. God's promises. Let me ask you this. Can God lie? Good. Thank you, hon. Can God lie? No participate, help me out here tonight, all right? I know, I know I'm not preaching, I'm teaching, and so it's not, uh, it's not as dynamic as preaching, but I need you to help me out, all right? So God cannot lie. And if God gives us a promise, it's true, all right? So let's, let's think about God's promises. First of all, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. Have you truly called out to the Lord? Have you trusted him by faith? Have you followed the Bible prescription of being saved? Have you done everything what the Bible says? I had a man in my office one time who had been really struggling in his personal life. As a matter of fact, he had had an affair on his wife and he was really messed up. He was separated from his wife and he was really struggling. And this went on for months and months. And he finally came in, he sat in my office one day and he said this. He says, if it weren't for the promises of God... I'd have no idea I was saved at all. He says, because I don't feel saved. I don't have the joy of salvation. He says, I, I'm not moved by spiritual things like I once was. He says, if it weren't for the promises of God. And that's what eventually revived his heart and got him back into church. Was because he understood what the Bible said. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which, that, which God that cannot lie promise before the world began so we can cling to the promises of God number two what is the nature of eternal life now I'm going to move very quickly tonight we have a lot of material and I understand the time so number two is the nature of eternal life let me ask you this here's what I mean by this how long is eternal It's a long time isn't it how long is everlasting it's a long time you can mark in your notes: John chapter three fifteen, John chapter three sixteen, John chapter three seventeen. Those three verses all talk about eternal life and everlasting life. In Titus chapter one verse two, that we just read, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So the nature of eternal life. Romans six twenty three: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you can lose it, is it eternal? I mean, how do they miss that? That's just common sense, isn't it? If you can lose something, it is not eternal. It didn't last forever. Have you ever ever owned something that has a lifetime guarantee? Yeah? I, I don't know how those things work, but eventually everything breaks. But this is something you can guarantee. God has said it, and he does not lie. John chapter 10, verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Listen, even a child that understands the English language can read the Bible and say, okay, what is eternal life? And they may not know what the word means, but when we say eternal life means something that lasts forever, they can figure out that salvation lasts forever, That is something that we cannot lose, that we are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. And I wrote down some other verses there for you. Uh, Number three, the security of God's family. The security of God's family. I used that illustration before, John chapter 1 and verse 12. Once we are entered into a relationship, a father and son or father and daughter relationship, it cannot be severed. It's just not possible. Uh, there, there is, uh, do, you, do you understand that our earthly relationships, God has given us earthly relationships to picture heavenly relationships? You read the Bible about marriage, as Christ loved the church, husbands so love your wives. And so he gives us these pictures. I've never ever seen that a father and a son can be severed. A mother, You say, well, I gave them up for adoption. That doesn't change what What happened? The child was conceived and it was born and there's still a, a father. Whether they know them or not, there's still that relationship. So the nature of the security of God's family. Letter A says, born again. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, but the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. I was born into God's family, 1 Peter one twenty three, uh, God has made a commitment to keep me as part of his family. John 6.37, all that the father giveth me shall come to me, and him that overcometh to me I will in no wise cast out. But here's, here's some good news too. Do you know that when you sin, Jesus has made a commitment to forgive you? 1 John 1.9 says, uh, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2.1, My little children, those things write I unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So our our relationship gives us assurance of salvation based upon the promises of God and knowing that we are part of his family and what eternal life really is. So give them the assurance of salvation. Letter B, we have to teach them about baptism. We have to teach them about baptism. Several years ago, I had a gentleman come to our church and he was just visiting our church and he said, well, I, I help at a church in Toronto and I help in the young people's department and and so he was just visiting some family and he popped in. And that morning I had a couple baptisms and I was baptizing some uh, young people and he said to me, well, have you discipled them yet? And I said, what do you mean by discipled? And he says, well, they have, uh, in our church we go through a uh, 20-week program and then they have to go through an tr- introduction to the church program for four weeks and they have to do this and they have to do that. And he says, after about nine months or ten months, then we baptize them and they join the church. My Bible says, teach all nations, baptizing them. That's the first step of obedience. Now, here's what I've learned in my walk with God. When I am disobeying God, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, and I'm not getting things out of the Word like I ought to. And I'm not absorbing the preaching like I ought to, because my walk with God's not right. And when I, when I open my Bible and I read it, I'm not picking up things that I usually pick up easily and, and the Word of God isn't speaking to my heart because my relationship with God isn't right. Here's my point. If somebody waits nine and 10 months, how are we discipling them when they're not out of step with God? Baptism is a step of obedience. It is not a decision to make. It is a command to follow. We are to be baptized. And so we need to teach them about baptism. It is the first step of obedience. It comes before... Teaching them to observe all things in Matthew chapter 28. So baptism, what is it? Well, it's an identification. It's a symbol. Like a wedding ring is a symbol. It reminds me of the day I got married. It dates back to my wedding. And it reminds me that I'm married. Now listen, I I don't need this ring to know that I'm married. I go home every night, my wife's there. The smoke billing out the windows tells me dinner is ready. Amen. and so I, I know I'm married, I've been married for 22 years now, and, and uh, matter of fact, I was, I was just saying a little while ago, I've been married for longer than I was single. It just kind of passed that threshold a couple months ago. And, and so I, I don't need a ring, the ring doesn't tell me I'm married, the ring tells you I'm married, right? It's a public profession, it's a symbol of what took place. And what is continuing the relationship in my life? That's what baptism is. It's a symbol. It, it tells the world that we are being identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first of all, it identifies us with Christ. Romans chapter 6. So that's letter A under baptism, 1A. It identifies us with Christ. Romans 6 says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So it identifies us with Jesus Christ. It also identifies us with our local church. And with its doctrine in acts chapter 2 then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls so it brought them into the local church when they were baptized and they continued steadfast in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers so it brought them into the fellowship of the church and they continued in the apostles doctrine so from that point on they were discipled now how long did they wait before they were baptized Same day. Now, I'm not saying that everybody will follow that prescription, but I'm just trying to point out the fact that there is no scriptural gap between our salvation and our baptism. As a matter of fact, baptism is the glad response of somebody that accepted Christ and how they might identify with him. We ought to be pleased that we have the opportunity to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So, baptism is for every Christian. Number two, baptism is for every Christian. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. That was the condition. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. It was for everybody that believed in Jesus Christ. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism is for every Christian. Letter Number three, baptism is by immersion. Baptism is by immersion. Now, there's a lot of churches that baptize different ways, but it is not scriptural. And we want to be scriptural in all that we do. The word... uh, The word baptized literally means to plunge or to dunk or to put under the water. And a matter of fact, baptism with Christ is a picture of his burial, Romans chapter 6. And so it identifies us with that burial by being immersed. We are buried under the water. And so often we will say, in the likeness of his death, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It is a picture of what Christ has accomplished for us. And so you can look again at Romans 6.4 and Colossians chapter 2. And verse 12, number four, baptism should take place soon after salvation. I sometimes question somebody's salvation. Now, I'm not their judge, and I can't see their heart. But when we linger long and we have excuses as why we don't want to identify with Christ, then there's a real problem there. And so baptism should take place quickly after salvation. It is the glad response of someone who is truly saved. In Acts chapter 16, this says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord unto all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. They were saved, and the same hour they were baptized. And so it should happen relatively quickly according to salvation. So we, we teach them about assurance. We teach them about baptism, letter C, We should teach them about Bible reading and prayer. Bible reading and prayer. A friend of mine said when he got saved, he was 17 years old, he said, when I got saved, he's 90 now, he says, nobody had to tell me to read my Bible. He said, that was just the natural thing to do. I mean, that was God's word. But unfortunately, it's not natural for a lot of people. So we ought to teach them to have a relationship with God. Salvation gives us a future home in heaven, but we need that daily relationship with God now. A relationship requires communication. So teach them to communicate with God through Bible reading and through prayer. And then church attendance. Church attendance is vital for our spiritual growth and encouragement. It provides us the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And so encourage them to get into God's family, get into the church. Hebrews instructs us in 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another... And so much more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but I see the day approaching. And it's high time we try to encourage people to be in church. And now, this might really make you uncomfortable, but you may have to change pews once in a while to let people in. You may may actually have to get up and go sit with them. And encourage them. and, And say, listen, if you come to church, I'll sit with you. Invite them to dinner. Take them out to lunch. Just this last week, somebody I was talking to, I don't even know who it was, I talked to several people, and I said, hey, come to church Sunday morning. I said, I'll take you out for lunch after. Whatever it takes, try to encourage them to be in church and to be faithful and be in their place. And listen, they'll come to church if they know they'll get the fellowship they need. And so we must reach out in fellowship. So encourage them to be in church. Now, is it practical to give a new believer all these things? You lead them, you're standing at their door, you lead them to the Lord, at least give them assurance of salvation. Don't leave them wondering, if I sin tomorrow morning, will I be saved still? Make sure they have the assurance of salvation and then try to get back and teach them about baptism. Now, if they have time, teach them about baptism right away. And If they have more time, give them a Bible. Make sure you give them a Bible. Give it as a gift. Write their name in the front, the time they got saved, and and try to encourage them. Say, I'd like to do a Bible study with you. I'll help you. We, We have all kinds. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. We've got all kinds of material. All you have to do is go through the booklet with them. You can do that. You can read your Bible right beside it and fill in the blanks just like you're doing tonight. And you can help somebody grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Roman numeral two, we're moving very quickly. My time is already up and we don't have a lot left, but I'm, I've given you the, the, the meat of it. But let me give you some more. Roman number two, nurturing growth. Nurturing growth. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. You can turn there. Everybody bring their Bible? All right. In this digital age, you don't hear pages turning so much anymore. I still like to hear the pages turn. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, somebody's going to go home and say, Well, the pastor said I'm bad. No, I don't. I'm glad you got a Bible. I'm glad you got a Bible. I just like to hear it. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses in God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So when we are nurturing somebody and trying to help them grow, that is our goal, that they might walk worthy of God. Now understand, we are not worthy of God. We are not worthy of anything that God has done for us. But we are to walk in a worthy manner, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are to help them to grow to that place where they can be of service. So spiritual maturity doesn't come overnight. It takes a long-term commitment. Number Letter A, how can we do that? Fellowship and hospitality. You may say, you know, the, the first section, Pastor, I, I struggle with, you know, to, to do a Bible study with somebody. Maybe, l- let me say this, if, if you're not ready to disciple somebody, why don't you take the time and be discipled? I, I, we've had people that have taken discipleship just so that they could disciple somebody else. I, I think, Kevin, you're doing that with Calvin pretty regularly. You were getting disciples so you could help the young people and teach them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that, getting into the Word of God and learning. Ashley Mejia is on her third discipleship program. She's just eating it up. She, just, when she finishes a book and she says, I want another one. So we find another one. It's almost the same thing, but she just does it again. She loves it. But she's going to help somebody else one day because of that. And so... You say I, I'm not able to do all that. Well, maybe you're not. But what about fellowship and hospitality? Anybody can do that. So encourage them in some way. Hebrews ten twenty five says, "Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together." Why? Because we are exhorting one another. You can be an encouragement by having fellowship. Romans twelve thirty two says, "We are to be given to hospitality." 1 Peter chapter four and verse nine says, "Use hospitality one to another." And so. Did I have the wrong verse there? It's Romans 12, 13, I'm sorry. Romans 12, 13, given to hospitality. And so by showing hospitality, we encourage new believers. Invite them to a barbecue. Have them over for something. Just go for a coffee after church. Uh, you have to get out of your cliques. You have to get out of your cliques to encourage new believers. And, and, or include them. Bring them into your group. Let them have a part. Well, they're just not us. You weren't you until you got saved. God has changed you. And so if you'll encourage them and help them and fellowship, maybe God will change them as well. And then get them involved in church. Let her be church involvement. Enroll them. Best way to get somebody into Sunday school, i found, is take them with you. Say, hey, come to my Sunday school class on Sunday. Be a part of it. Sunday school, I think, is more intimidating than church. In church, you can come in and sit and get lost in the crowd and sing the songs and shake hands and then walk out. But Sunday school, sometimes it's interactive. Sometimes there's questions and answers. And sometimes the teacher asks you to stand and read a verse. And, and it's a little more intimate in, in, in smaller groups. And so it's a little more intimidating. So invite them to come. Uh, Barry Rutherford, when he got, I remember when he got saved. We didn't know we were doing anything. But Barry was a new guy and he was the same age as me. He's just three months younger than me. And Jeff Massacre and I were hanging out a lot at that time and, and uh, everybody kinda went back to school. Well, Barry's life got turned upside down when he got saved. He didn't want to go back to university. He was concerned Bible college. And so he he didn't go back right away and and so there was everybody was in college, the only ones left were Jeff and me and, and him. And my college started later for some reason. And so we called Barry on a Friday night and say, Hey, let's go out and we'll go bowling or something, or we go do this or whatever. He told me after, he told me years later, he says, you know, he, we were talking about discipleship. some of the best discipleship I got was when Jeff Masker and Al Feary just gave me a call and said, come out tonight. He says, because then when my other buddies called, I was already busy. He says, I wasn't with the old crowd anymore. He says, so we went and had fun, and I realized I could have fun without drinking, and I could have fun without all those other things. And so just include people. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't, I'm going to be honest, I didn't set out to try to disciple him. I was just a good guy, and he was my friend. But by including people, we help them get involved. So enroll them. Get them in the class where they'll be fed. Get them involved in service. People like to be used. People like to be used to the Lord. And so get them involved in service. You say, well, they're not ready to lead yet. Yeah, but we can set up tables and we can usher and we can, you know, you can pass out those things at the door, help Mr. Ronson with that. There's lots of things new believers can do. You you don't need a degree to, to come and help set up tables for a banquet. Did you know that? Uh, good night. Calvin and I are two of the dumbest guys you know, and we're setting them up all the time. It doesn't take rocket scientists to do it. And so get people involved. They just want to, and I'm and, and you, when they get involved, thank them. Man, I, thank you so much for helping out. The Lord appreciates that, and we appreciate that. And let them get involved. That's how you nurture Growth. Get them in the church because just here's the truth. The more they come to church, the more they're exposed to the Word of God. And so just get them involved and, and nurture that. So, church involvement. Let her see discipleship. And so, this is the, the next step. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong process of growth. Everyone in this room ought to be a disciple, it's a committed follower of Christ. And everyone in this room ought to be. Continuing in your discipleship. That doesn't necessarily mean you have somebody coming over teaching you one-on-one every week. But it means that perhaps you're in your Bible doing your devotions and you're reading and you're praying and you're studying and you're going to Sunday school and you're going to church and you're growing. You're making the effort to be discipled by God. John 8.31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples indeed. A disciple is one that continues in the Word of God. So, any investment we can make in the life of a new believer is worthwhile. You'll discover it encourages their growth, but it'll also encourage you as well to see that new believer grow. Third John says this I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so it's a wonderful blessing of helping somebody else. Roman number three, committed to multiplication. Committed to multiplication. If I go out and lead somebody to the Lord, that's adding to the church. But if I teach them how to win souls, and we're both out leading somebody to the Lord, that's multiplication. The gospel was never meant to be stopped. It wasn't meant to be stored up in your heart. You were meant to receive it, and then you were meant to give it out. To take what you have learned and tell others it is truth to be passed on. The woman at the well, as soon as she found out who Jesus was, she said this, Come see a man which told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? The Thessalonians, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, uh, spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. These young churches and this, this young lady at the well were telling others about Jesus. If I get the chance to lead somebody to the Lord, I usually tell them the first thing. I'll say, go tell somebody. Go tell your Sunday school teacher. Go tell your parents. Go tell somebody what happened today that you asked Jesus to be your Savior. As we lead a soul to Christ, it will multiply if we'll teach them how to lead others also. Now, let's just do this exercise. It'll only take a minute. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Look at Verse 41. I want you to see the biblical pattern and the scriptural progression here. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So it didn't stop on the day of Pentecost. Daily, people were added to the church. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, just over a couple pages, verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So it just keeps going. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so we've gone from addition to multiplication. You say, why is that? Because the author of Acts finally got to the point where he says, I can't add this anymore. I got to start multiplying. So the the church was being multiplied in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the numbers of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. They dropped that word addition altogether. The church started growing so much, it was multiplying in Jerusalem greatly. Acts chapter 9, and verse 31. Acts chapter 9, and verse 31. And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came, to him, came down also the saints, which, or sorry, in verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So we go from a church that's adding to daily to a church that's multiplying. Why? Because Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were growing in the word of God and they were being taught how to reach others also. So how do we turn from addition into multiplication? Letter A. Intentional involvement. Uh, encourage a new believer to invite others to church. Say, who can you bring now? Invite your neighbors to come. Especially, listen, hey, you're getting baptized next Sunday. Bring everybody to come. Tell them it's a big day in your life. And, and, and so intentionally try to involve them. Invite them to go visiting with you. That's some of the best discipleships take somebody along with you, take them out, door knocking, soul winning. Most things are better caught than taught. Offer to help a new Christian share the gospel with their friends. Sometimes they say, well, I'd like to tell my friends. Well, I don't know. Go with them. Say, I I can help. Yeah, I'll go. If they got a listening ear, I'm willing to go and share the gospel with them. And so go with them and help them. Letter B is private prayer. The Apostle Paul continued in prayer for new converts. I'm just going to read you a couple verses, but almost every epistle says something about Paul's prayer life. He says this in Ephesians Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1, 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Colossians 1, 3, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, Philemon, verse 4. Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, new believers. Let me ask you, we've, we've had a few saved lately. Are they on your prayer list? Boy, they're getting bombarded with spiritual combat every day. And they're not grown-up soldiers they're new cadets and they don't know how to even fit that armor yet boy they need your prayers so be praying for the new converts let her seize a faithful testimony we need to have a testimony to new believers somebody said this we would win more people to jesus christ if we had something to win them to. Sometimes our testimony is so tainted that nobody wants to be a part of that. And so have a faithful testimony. When you lead someone to Christ, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to put anybody in a pedestal, but you know you've become a spiritual example to them. Think about the person that led you to the Lord. Do you look up to them still? Do you remember them still? It's such an encouragement to To go back and meet somebody you've led to the Lord and they're still looking to you as an example. But we have to keep our testimony. It's so important. Nothing discourages more when somebody that's our spiritual hero fades in their walk with God. Men fail every day. And I'm not saying, listen, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. But it is discouraging when somebody that we look up to begins to fade in their walk with God. Become permissive change in their doctrine, start to slide in some direction. That's discouraging. Encourage a new believer by being firm in the word of God, being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be somebody that somebody can look up to. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for the teaching of God's word. We pray that you'd help us with it, apply it to our lives, we pray. And Father, you'd speak to us about being more active in reaching people the gospel, but also discipling them and grounding them in the truth. And Father, we'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just stand for a moment tonight, and I know it wasn't a preaching time, and so maybe an invitation wouldn't be appropriate, but let's, let's just do this. Let's take a few moments and pray for those that we know that need to hear the gospel. Let's pray for boldness to go out and reach them with Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so commit your heart for the next couple of minutes to praying for those things.